Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, this week we have a special guest with Linda Carroll. Linda is the author of the book, Love Cycles. She has been a therapist, coach, and counselor for 35 years, and her expertise is relationships. So who here is not in a relationship? Everybody is at some form or another. And so she really gives us some solid foundational research around strategies, tips, skills to develop to develop our relationships, as well as demystify and debunk some of the thinking around relationships. Do you think all relationships are just cozy and they just move along perfectly? And in her book, Life Cycles, she really uh, debunks that whole thing. Now, just before we get into the show with Linda, I just want to thank you for being a SOS listener. If you like what we're doing, can you share it? Can you pass it on? Can you leave some positive comments in whatever platform that you're listening uh, to? The other one is, is one of the things that Linda talks about, and I will just reveal this as far as being healthy in healthy relationships, is the number one step for that is knowing self. Well, what does CRG do as well or better than anybody else on the planet is tools and resources and assessments to help you know yourself. If it's personal style, if it's your values, if it's your wellness level, so your leadership skills, if it's your learning style, if it's your self-worth, all of those are available to you. So I just encourage that you really would invest in the most important person on the planet, and that's yourself. And the more that you develop yourself, the more that you're going to be able to bring uh, a more whole person, as Linda talks about it, a more developed person to any context in life, personally and professionally. Well, welcome for being here, or thank you for being here, and here's the show. Well, the word today is relationships. Now, everybody here listening, on some level or another, unless you are living on an island by yourself, and the odds of you listening to this podcast then are probably pretty slim, you have relationships. You have relationships of some sort, personal or professional. And today, we have an expert on relationships. She's written the book, Love Cycles. She joins us from Oregon, Linda Carroll. Linda, thanks for being on the show with us today. You're welcome. It's so much fun to talk about this. And you've also been a therapist for, you said, 35 years. So this is like your first week then. I've done this for a long time. I think I started when I was about four. Well, for um, sure, for sure. You know, and people, when they have an early start, obviously they can develop a lot of experience quickly. So, again, thank you for joining us on the show. And so, Linda, one of the things we like to do is to uh, have the audience get to know your journey and, you know, your sort of uh, steps in life. So where, where were you born and what sort of your family background when you were growing up? I was born in San Francisco. 1944. Um, so I've been around a while, and I came uh, and I came sort of into my um, oh I don't want to say I don't know if it was growing up, but I sort of came of age in the 60s in San Francisco, um, and I like to say that I think I had a pretty conservative childhood, and I le- and and from that sort of merged with what I learned. In, in those years of the 60s really created, I think, a pretty holistic idea about the world because I think the conservative Catholic background I had was 
was very strong in the power of forgiveness, mm. um, redemption, the ideas that, um, you know, that we could be more, that we were more than just than a personality. And then sort of moving into the alternative world, the hippie world of the 60s, which was very different than what it is now, we call it by hippies, was about expansion out of all of that into something else. But really that there's some way they came together for me in, in the idea that we are more than, than just a personality and that those old traditional values of forgiveness and kindness and treating people as you want to be treated, they somehow came aboard for me in a new way and I started teaching relationship work and being in a very long-term relationship myself. Um, I was fascinated about relationships from the very, very beginning. I just fell so hard when I was 12 years old for a, a boy, which I had no idea what was even going on when I experienced the feelings. And it was a tortured relationship for a lot of years. But I, I look back on that now, and I think this is probably true for many people. You know, as we get older, we look back and see those early experiences. They were seeds. They were seeds that planted something to really become life themes. And for me, I tried so hard for, for so much of my early life to understand what had happened when I was that young girl feeling like the world was spinning. I couldn't mm. breathe around him. What was that? And somehow putting that all together years later when I when I was in a stable, good, healthy relationship with, you know, with real trouble and real ability to manage the trouble, um, I, I the the and became a marriage counselor, that early experience was so important in writing love cycles because I realized that what I had grown up believing love was, was that feeling I had with him when I was 12 years old, mm. that feeling of butterflies in the stomach and feeling like I couldn't breathe and all I could do was think about him. And of course, that wasn't love. That was the, that was what happens when our amygdala, that part of our brain that is our 911 center gets hijacked and all those hormones and drugs and changes of chemistry happen in our body when we meet someone that happened to me with no explanation except for the very corny movies and songs i thought that was love so mm. i could i guess you could say that my life some of the some poor relationships and then some good ones and a long-term good marriage really has been a meditation on that theme of what is love is it that feeling that i got at 12 or is it what happens over a long period of time and then I became a marriage counselor I've done and a coach. I've done that for about 35 years. I work all over. Actually, I work all over the world because I do a lot of it online now with mm. couples. And I find that the same journey has happened to so many people. And so the, de the description of what is what what do we know about love has really been my meditation, I think. Awesome. And we're going to get into the Love Cycles book here in a little bit. But before we do, you know, you've had all this experience. Uh, what is it that's um, really challenging people to have successful relationships? I mean, we think about uh, the stats and the stat, the, the research is debated about how many divorces and et cetera. But even from a personal point of view, what do you think, with all your experience, Linda, is contributing to people's dysfunctional relationships out there? 
I think that there are three things. Okay, I think the first thing is, is that we have different expectations than we did ever about what we want out of our relationships. So when I was growing up, the, the criteria for a good relationship is that you save for retirement, you raised healthy kids that could do okay in the world. You didn't th- people didn't think about things like intimacy, um, connection, my best friend. You know, they, people mark their years by, by having very different ideas of what made a relationship work. They didn't talk about feeling like you need to be able to talk about things or emotional connection. So we have a different idea of what we want now. It's not just mm. longevity and endurance and, and lasting out, but it really has to do with, with, with a quality of relationship that needs new skills. And the skill set of so many people coming into their relationship years does not match what they want. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is that we have a culture that's very much about quick and easy. You know, that you do things with the, with lightning speed. You connect with people. You shop. You do, that you do so many, and we, and the, the cultural ideas of what it is to be in love really match up with the first stage. And I think that the, that the question you're asking is so important. Love is a feeling. I had it at 12. And that's kind of my mantra. I say when I'm Mm -hmm. speaking to groups, I had it at 12. How hard was it? I just met somebody and there it was. But a long-term loving relationship is something completely different. And that's, you know, it doesn't make a great movie, really. Um, The movie, movies are drama and torture and, and the, the actual skills that we need to develop to bring a long-term relationship, some of it's painful, some of it's just sort of dull, everyday kinds of things. And I, and I think that that's, I guess it's kind of the part of the first answer, but it's, it's different. It's, mm-hmm. this isn't quick. This takes a long time in the same way that friendship takes a long time. You know, I have long-term friends and we all have some stories in those years or decades where there was different seasons. There's, there's, we fall in love with friends, with puppies, with kids, with a lover. Mm. We fall in love in the spring and summer, but there are winters there and, and law and many winters. And, you know, to continue with the metaphor, there's lightning and thunder, gray days, cloudy days, lots of rain. And those are all a natural part of a long-term relationship, whether it's friendship or whether it's with a partner. But I, I think we're not programmed to expect that that's normal. So we think mm. that there's something wrong with that. Mm. Now, you mentioned here three things. Did I miss something here? Is was no, the skill no. sets quick? So, the, the, so that the first thing is that we have, we, we have a different expectation than mm-hmm. we did when we were when, with other generations. And the second part of that is that what we need is a different skill set. And the third mm. part of that is that we have... Very, we have quick and easy is what we want now to be able to flip in our, our iPhone and talk to people on the other side of the world. In this yeah, spectrum. I get that. Yeah, I call it the microwave life. Yeah, good. I want, love you, that. So you just want to go at very, very quickly. And uh, sorry, you know, the, the top athletes in the world didn't get there by showing up this afternoon. That's uh, exactly <clears> right. Yes. So and thanks, so, Linda, for that. So when you think about... Um, why don't we just go in depth into each one of these 
is when you think about expectations, you've talked about some of those. What are some of the things that have also shifted in that? I mean, the fact that I want to have intimacy, the fact that I want you to be my friend in this relationship, isn't that going to um, anchor the, the relationship and actually make it better versus a commitment to longevity? I need you to ask that question in a little different way because I don't really understand it. Well, if we're thinking about expectations and we're thinking about success in relationships, and if the expectations have moved to the fact that my, let's say, life partner is also my friend and my life partner I have intimacy with them versus just really raising a family, yes, wouldn't those expectations actually contribute to a healthier, better relationship? I think, sure. I think that's true. Yeah, and I and all and also a lot of people aren't together. I mean, people are not together because they want to have kids or they want to raise a family together. A lot of couples that come in have different they live in different I even have couples now and it's not uncommon where they are committed, some of them married and they live in different places. Not everybody wants kids and there's a whole lot of freedom now to choose that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I have a lot of same-sex couples that um, have a very different experience of being together than a heterosexual couple. I mean, we have a lot of possibilities now for relationships that were not they were pro- they were happening, but they weren't sort of out there. Um, mm-hmm. And especially that idea that we don't actually have to live with the person. You know, um, I have uh, two really dear friends who had kids, and I'm seeing this more and more. They had young kids when they met. They did. They parented so differently, and they knew that if they shared a house, that they wouldn't make it. So they had. They kept their relationship going for 12 years, as as a very committed couple, and didn't live together till after the kids left. And that's now been 10 years post, and they're doing great. But wow. that those those you know we can think differently about who we each are and what our life circumstance is now and we can create something to fit that and there was really one model that was socially acceptable when I grew up and mm-hmm. so I think that that's a um, I don't know does that respond to your question in a, in a, in a way that, that you put well like there? as you mentioned the different yeah for sure you talk about different expectations and of course part of it is is also having um, you making your partner your friend and, and having this intimacy that you're having with them as you get to know them. But what the does second, that mean to make them your friend? That can also be trouble. You know, everything can be trouble. That's kind of my explain, explain that. About how that can be trouble? Yes. I think it's a really great question. I think one of the things I've, I've, I had to come to terms with in my own relationship was that my partner was not a girlfriend. That I had very different expectations of. I I think that I think that there is a it's a it feels like a pressure in a way. Being partners is I, I want to leave that and come back to it because it's a really important question and I can't think that fast about it right now. I just know that it feels to me like it has a little bit of um, there's an expectation in friendship that we can't always meet in a long-term relationship because we live together, because we are each other's intimate person, because what I do affects what you do so much. And I think that it's a different relationship than just friendship. It's something else. Mm-hmm. I guess my point was being around where 
couples in many cases would like their significant other to be their friend. Versus, what does that mean to you? Uh, well, somebody that you really um, are connecting with versus where you were talking about sort of a generation ago where we're just kind of hanging out together. Uh, I mean, even in the culture that we live in here, there's arranged marriages. There's not really necessarily a friendship. You know, friendship takes different yeah. tacks. Yeah. So I'm just saying that, okay, I'm connected to you at a friend level, whatever that means, uh, Lynn, I'm not defining it per se, but really this is somebody that I can share my thoughts with, this is somebody that I can uh, share my concerns with, and you are my friend. Like you said, you hang out with uh, your partner is different than a girlfriend, and that's fine. I have different friends that meet different needs for some of the stuff that I do as well as far as where my interest is, friends around my business and what we do. That's not necessarily something that I share with my wife. So I'm just talking about where you, when we think about a generation ago where that has shifted and that's changed. I so think, we, I, okay, I've got it. I know what it is. Okay. So th I think you're right. And I would say my husband is my best friend a lot of the time. I, I, I think I get what you're talking about, so and I think I get where my resistance is because I'm working right now with a couple of different couples in trying to get around this idea that the other person should be that all the time. And I and in a, and when we're committed to something, I mean, I think I'm a big fan of having a kind of a mission statement, whether it's formal or informal, about what are we doing together. And whether it's making a family, saving the sea turtles, helping each other be strong in our careers, what's the, what is it that we're together for that is bigger than the two of us? Mm. And my friendships are really not bigger than the two of us. My friendships are there, and they're about what actually goes on between us most of the time. I mean, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not, but it's really about that one-on-one. -on -one. For me... An, in, the, an intimate long-term partnership is about something bigger and beyond just the relationship. And maybe that's another version of, of, of the earlier version, but it, it, it certainly has intimacy as a part of it. But it's not, we're not always in the intimate part. And I think that my work with couples maybe cast something on this also that where I come into the work with couples is not when they're in their best friendship or mm -hmm. when they're connecting wonderfully, but when that isn't working well. And so part of what I help people do is not just the connection or the communication, but I really help them remember that it's a bigger vision and that that bigger vision has lots of times in it where they're not going to feel connected. And sometimes, you know, uh, great communication skills, and I've got a tool chest to teach people, which work wonders. Sometimes that works, but other times I think it's really important to accept that this is not a great time we're communicating. We are in different spaces in our life or around money or around what we want to do next. And let's remember what the mission or the vision is of what we're doing together that's bigger than the two of us. So that's just a small difference, but I think that's what came up for me when you said that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Linda, for that. One of the other items you mentioned here is people don't have the skill sets uh, or the skills to have a healthy relationship. What, what are some of those skills that you're referencing? Well, I think there's three kinds of skills. I think the three different groups of skills. And the first skill set 
beyond anything is knowing yourself. And I think that is covered so wonderfully in all that we're learning about emotional intelligence. You know, understanding who I am, what I'm feeling when I feel it, how I get triggered, being able to know how I affect you, how my particular way of describing or asking for or responding affects other people. So that whole area of emotional intelligence, self-inquiry, understanding my own deep values, understanding what it is that I'm bringing into this relationship in terms of assumptions, hopes, expectations, and how I also bring difficulties to the person who lives with mm-hmm. me, all my sort of my gifts and struggles, all that's a part of self-knowledge. That's number one, because we can't really communicate till we know who we are and and till we know what we're feeling. And we can also decipher what is what I'm feeling right now, especially if it's a strong feeling. If I'm going to move into the second skill set, which is communication, I've got to be able to understand when my intensity doesn't match what's going on with my partner. So, for example, the, so the second skill set is communication skills. So if if my partner says, you know, I know we were going to go to lunch Saturday, but I'm going to go, I want to go bike riding with my friend. And I just burst into tears and say, you never loved me. I've got to be the emotional intelligence part is, wait a minute, this is a very big reaction to him going bike riding. What's happening for me rather than going after him? So that's mm. what I'm talking about with, with knowing myself. The second part is the communication skills and, uh, and knowing that when we're in distress, we react much differently than when we're not. So uh, couples come in, and one of the first, there's a few opening lines that people have, and and the one of the most common ones is we don't communicate. And I hear see these two people, very articulate, telling me about what's going on, with really being able to do that very skillfully, and even talking to each other that way. What they're talking, they they communicate well. What they're talking about is when. They're under stress because when we're under stress, we change. When, mm. when we're not stressful, we're open, we can hear, we're not defensive or reactive. Under stress, we go into fight, flee, or freeze. So that's another part of self-knowledge that if I get triggered, I might get, my husband always says that when we have an argument, my IQ goes up 50 points and his goes down because he's a, he, when he goes into his flight, he leaves. I mean, not physically, but he just shuts down, whereas I get really articulate and say, you know, in 1939 and 7 a.m. in the morning, this was said. Um, and he forgets words. And I and understanding those dynamics of what happens when we fight and what, when we're arguing or when, we've hurt, when we're hurt, that's an important part of communication. So it's what it is I, I need to say and where that's really coming from saying it appropriately so that what you hear is what I mean and then being able to respond to what you say mm. in a way that is not from my defensive structure. All that's a lot or most of that skills. But those are the second part is communicating and also timing is another part of communication. You know, knowing when to bring up something that is hard and doing that at the right moment that your partner is in a better place to hear it The classic one of this, of course, is at night. For some people, and often they're with somebody the opposite, for some people, 
They don't want to talk about heavy things at night. They want to sleep. They often are with a partner who can't go to sleep until they talk about it. So you know how that goes, you know. Let's talk. I'm going to sleep. But we just had an argument. How can you go to sleep if we had an argument? Because I'm tired and I can talk better in the morning about it. If you really cared about this relationship, you wouldn't be able to go to sleep. No, if you really cared about this relationship, you wouldn't bring it up now. Blah, blah, blah. So you know how that works. Mm. I think we all know how that works, right? Exactly. So it's communication skills, and it's a lot of different communication skills. It's not just saying what we feel, but it's much more fine-tuned than that. And then I think the third set is what I call the wisdom traditions. And it's the, the, all the wisdom traditions that come in. And I sort of go through different phases with different ones. Um, I think that I, I mentioned forgiveness earlier. Um, lately, I've been talking a lot about the yoga tradition. And one of the most important skills that that brings into relationships is staying on your own mat. And that's a big issue in relationships, isn't it? You know, where is it my business and where is it not my business? Where do I get into you and start to man- try to manage or, or react or say I told you so or tell you what to do? So I think the wisdom traditions bring in great, great pieces of information about, you know, the University of Virginia did a study, on, this was many years ago, on what the most important quality was in a relationship. And they, um, they thought they thought it would be a lot of sex, good sex, and while certainly sex is important, what they and they did a study with thousands of people sending out questionnaires, mm-hmm. what they found that the number one quality in a good relationship is actually generosity. And of course, that's a, good, a part of good sex, but it's a part of so many things. And that goes back to the wisdom traditions of generosity, um, the golden rule, and all the major traditions, that's a number one thing is treat others like you would want to be treated. So that's what I mean when I bring in those those traditions. Core philosophy is know thyself. Another wisdom tradition from the Temple of Delphi, isn't it? Mm. Well, it's interesting, uh, Linda. You know, our focus as a company is around mastering self-awareness. In uh, in we do that probably as well as anybody. And it's interesting, and we've done well over a hundred shows now, and it is probably the number one theme for all practitioners or experts that I've had on the show is the importance of self-awareness, of knowing thyself, and just really what we call self-mastery. Yes. Is can I actually be conscious and aware of who I am, but then also what what is the impact it's having to the environment, both internally and externally at that same time. And it's amazing how few people actually have done that work to do it. Yes, you're right. You're right. That's exactly. I agree with you, and I think it. I think it's a very. Um, I think it's a very advanced skill to understand my impact on, on on anything else. Um, mm. I think that that. I mean, I think that takes a level of spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, and and well-being to be able to do it, and especially my impact on my partner. Hmm. And sometimes we can be, I don't know what your experience is, Linda, as you're working there, where we have this me culture, and I think you did a podcast on narcissism, where we think about ourselves versus other people. Generosity is really about putting other people first. That's right. Rather than being self-focused. And, you know, we can all be self-centered. 
at different levels. So you're right, as we get older and more mature, hopefully we can develop those skills over time. So thank you for that wisdom for everybody that's listening to this. Is Again, the work that you listeners and all of us need to do is to develop ourselves first. Uh, we have a statement in our certification, my ability to serve and help and to connect with others is equal to or less than our own development. And so what that's what you're saying is as I develop myself, the relationships also unfold and develop too. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you for that. Now, number two is when you think about all these communication skills, how do you help couples? Because these communication skills can be advanced. Where, where do they go to start developing them? Do you do that one-on-one -on -one with them? Or if I'm a listener here, how would I even know what a communication skill is and, and where would I seek it out to be able to improve it? Well, I think yeah, I do that. I do. I teach classes, and I'm developing an online class right now. Um, I'm just starting to do it, and I, I work with couples on Skype and in person, and I do intensives all over the country. And I always start by getting people. You know, one of the ways I start with couples before I even. I mean, it's always different depending on what I'm, I'm working with. But one of the things that I love doing is asking them to tell me the relationship story. At 80, I'd say 90% of the time that goes well. Sometimes it's a tough story, so it doesn't mm -hmm. go so well. But when they start to talk about, you know, we move in trances all the time. And one of when I talk about the five stages of relationship, the first stage, which is enchantment, is a trance. And the third stage, where everything's terrible, just like it was all perfect in the first stage, the third stage is a trance. And couples are often pretty entranced when they come and see me and what's wrong. So when I start out and ask them to tell me about the relationship story, sometimes what that does is it brings back the feelings. It brings back the memory of what they saw in each other and who they were when they started. So there's a communication skill right there. Because what that has in it is really what I'm telling myself, what I'm, the words that I'm saying, they're putting me in, a, in my own trance. Um, and, and sometimes people haven't looked at each other eye to eye for three months. They've been mad. And so you can create a whole story about somebody when you're not looking at them. So the next thing is to look at each other and to say, what is it that I can appreciate about you? Is there anything, you know, even though I don't know if I want to even be with you or ever speak to you after the session, is there anything I can appreciate? Because that softens us to mm -hmm. feel appreciated and to say, well, you know, I really am not I, you know, I, I admire your work, even even though that's way out there and distant, or I like the way you were with that puppy yesterday. It still starts to see help us see our partner as bigger and more than they are mm -hmm. in that little moment where we're shut down. So the so it's a so there's set and setting for communication skills, and that's where we have to start is by softening, opening, knowing how to take how to open without letting myself get wounded. That's another communication skill. How can I be soft with you? How can I let myself talk and consider a different possibility than where I'm stuck, but not melt into the floor so that I set myself up for a dynamic that's very painful? Mm -hmm. So there's a whole thing, sort of pre-communication that I do with people, and I think that's really important. And then I start with very simple skills, teaching them very, very simple skills from the, I've done training with so many different people and just teaching them how to listen, how to mirror, how to check in with themselves. Um, and we take those skills and we build up 
to using some of those skills for harder and harder topics. But I always start soft and small, and I start by helping them soften. Mm, absolutely. And when you think about all the research, even Gottman and his work, you know, once my heartbeat goes over 100 beats per minute, it's over. I, I, I'm no longer rational with part of it. I think this is a perfect transition because you started and alluded, alluded to it already, Linda, and thank you for that, uh, those wise words, is you have the five uh, steps or essential stages of lasting love in Love Cycles, your, your book. And you said the first one is enchantment. So let's just go through the five, and then I will, we'll wrap up the show in about 10 minutes or so with uh, some words of wisdom from you for... Uh, recommendations there, but let's just go through the five that you have there. So the first one's enchantment. And the first one is I call it the merge. I call hmm. it the merge, and 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 it is certainly enchantment. Um, and we know that that's when. And of course, that doesn't always happen for people, mm-hmm. but a lot of times it's when we fall in love. We see another person, and the and, and it's mediated now. We understand by chemicals, hormones. You know, there was really a love potion that Aphrodite talked about when she had Cupid aim his arrow towards people. And that love potion is what is what is downloaded in our bodies when we, mm-hmm. the romantic cocktail, when we fall in love. And what it does is it creates kind of a halo over the other person. So we become more generous. We think of things like soulmates. You know, you're my soulmate. This is, this is we're meant to be. We feel unconditional in that state. We feel like anything is possible in that state. We're full of oxytocin, which is a cuddle chemical. We want to be close. We're full of norepinephrine, which gives us um, a feeling we don't need to sleep or eat. We're full of we're full of dopamine, which is that that mm. craving um, mm-hmm. chemical. And reward center of the brain is like we're around that person and we get downloaded. And if that all of those reduce serotonin in our brain, which creates something like obsessive compulsive disorder. So we want to be with that person all the time we think of them. And then what happens is that 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 lasts about three years the first time we fall in love, and it has diminishing returns every time. So if you see 60-year-olds coming in and they're, you know, they're recycling relationships every four months to get that buzz, um, that's the bad news they have to hear, that it gets less and less. Mm. It's not meant to last forever, and it doesn't. And then the chemicals wear off, and we're with a human person. And we're with somebody, We start. people start to think there's something wrong because the very things we fell in love with, those very qualities, are start to annoy us. You know, you feel we fell in love with someone who was, had a great, um, who was um, spontaneous and then you start to see it as impulsive. Or someone who was very generous and then you, check, you start to share a checkbook. And you notice that they give $300 a month to one-legged burrows all over the world. I actually had somebody who, who did that years ago. Um, and, you know, I want the boroughs to be happy, but when you're sharing a checkbook, it's not always the best thing. Boroughs, be you, I'm talking about the animal boroughs. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I got that. I have an agricultural background, so <laughs> well, 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 hopefully the listeners, you know what we're talking about there. No, I, I think it was a wonderful say, thing. He said a $300 yeah. check to save boroughs. And I thought, well, isn't that wonderful? But he wasn't happy about it. Uh, we move into doubt and denial, and our libidos change. We start to get flooded. This is where where Gottman talks about, you know, when a person says we have, when a, usually a woman says we have to talk, a man's heartbeat goes up 10 beats per minute, and when he says not now, hers goes up. 
we start to move into what I call infinity loops where we have the same old trouble over and over. Um, if we stay in that a long time usually and then we can move into the third stage which I call disillusionment or disenchanted and mm -hmm. we have at this point there's all kinds of troubles that show up you know things we've stuffed under the carpet suddenly show up um, we feel we harbor the grudges or pain suddenly that seems like that's all there is in the relationship where we once saw everything the person did right we see what they do wrong some people are very dramatic in this some people aren't so dramatic but it's the disillusionment phase and just like when we fall in love we think that that's the whole deal and when we are in this third stage we think that's the whole deal I think you're this perfect person in stage one who's going to always be there and give me everything I always wanted and never hurt me. Mm -hmm. Stage three is the opposite of that, where there's like a shadow over this, the other person and the relationship. And I tell people that unless it's violent or it's really, you know, a lot of very, very painful and dangerous things are happening, I suggest people don't leave then, even though that's when they want to, that that's where you do the best work. Because, you know, it's much harder to work with a couple who are in the who have fallen in love and say, oh, we want to make sure we're doing everything right, so we're here for counseling. But actually, what they really believe is they've cracked the code, because they're in that first stage, which is mediated by all these chemicals. But people in that third stage can do wonderful work because they want to get out of pain. So it's a real mm. impetus. Just like we go to the gym, you know, when we're afraid about our health, we also do a lot of work, the best work, when we're struggling because we're in touch with it and and at that stage people can either leave they can do the work or they can do nothing and then they can stick go into parallel lives forever which is mm -hmm. another kind of trouble um, and the fourth stage which is an action a decision to either not not make a choice to build the bridge between my world and yours and to try to understand or to do the work, to, I mean, to really do the work of who I am, who you are, and see what happens. And the the last stage, wholehearted love, is I think what we is what we all want to get to in our life, which is becoming wholehearted, where we become healthily attached. And what that means is that I become whole. I have to get. I have to work at what's in the way of wholeness in order to be wholehearted. And so that is coming from my own wholeness because the real point of a relationship, I believe, is to help me complete myself. It's not to get you to complete me, but it's to help me with completeness. What would you leave sort of last recommendation to have a successful relationship? I think that the first part is choose slowly. When you, if you, when you, fall, when you feel those strong feelings, enjoy them, but know that you're in a trance. So the first part is to understand that this may not be a person you're meant to be with. You know, love, you know, um, nature breeds for diversity, not relationship compatibility. And what that means, that's a quote from Patricia Love, who was a teacher of mine. I think it's great. We can fall in love with someone because they have different DNA. We don't know that at the time. And so you want to know a lot about the other person in, in, before you make a commitment. And I think the second thing is to understand that we all go through seasons and that the seasons are, some of those seasons are hard. 
And what I see when I look out is you and what you're doing. But the freedom comes when I see what I'm bringing, the trouble I bring. So that's mm-hmm. the next part. And the third part, I think, is to understand that love is a feeling and a relationship is a commitment to do the work of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, that it, and that it really will make me whole. Learning to love, I think, is the greatest thing that we can do. But it doesn't come free. Falling in love was free, and that's why we call it falling. Learning to love is not free, and it's why we call it the work of learning to love. It's what Real K said, is that it sometimes takes us a whole lifetime to learn what that means. Linda, thank you for that. Now, how, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they find out about your work? Well, my website is lindaacarroll.com, with an A, L-I-N-D-A-A-C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com. I just started an Instagram account, which is Linda06, Linda Carol06. And um, if they go on my website, though, everything's there. And I have a newsletter, and I do, I'm happy to, to consider working um, with people virtually, depending on what's going on, but that's something new I'm doing. And can we get your book, Love Cycles, off of Amazon? You sure can. It's right and there. And so I just encourage. So, Linda, thank you very much for joining us You're and so being part of the show today. Oh, thank you. And I really look forward to hearing more about what you do. So I'm going to read all about you. Okay. Well, thanks, Linda. And uh, listeners, Secrets of Success listeners, take what Linda has left you is that, you know what, love and relationships takes effort, work, commitment, uh, working on yourself, being able to develop together. And really, I love Linda's idea of creating a mission statement. Why are you there together? What's the impact? What's your legacy? And you know our purpose work is that what is your purpose? Not only as an individual, but as a couple, as a partnership, as a relationship. So thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing, share, pass it on, let other people know about Secrets of Success. And I'm Dr. Ken Keyes. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.